We're reading from Isaiah chapter 66, verses 10 through to 16. And after that, Matt's going to come up and preach to us. Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her, all you who love her. Rejoice greatly with her, all you who mourn over her. For you will nurse and be satisfied at her comforting breasts. You will drink deeply and delight in her overflowing abundance. For this is what the Lord says, I will extend peace to her like a river and the wealth of nations like a flooding stream. You will nurse and be carried on her arm and dandled on her knees. As a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you. And you will be comforted over Jerusalem. When you see this, your heart will rejoice and you will flourish like grass. The hand of the Lord will be made known to his servants, but his fury will be shown to his foes. See, the Lord is coming with fire and his chariots are like a whirlwind. He will bring down his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For with fire and with his sword, the Lord will execute judgment on all people and many will be those slain by the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. My name is Matt, and it's great to be with you wherever you are. Uh, Great to be doing church together and that we can do that at this time. Uh, I'm just going to find my slides here. Excuse me for one moment while I bring them up. Here we go. Uh, Well, in life, we prepare for all sorts of things, just like Pippi said, don't we? Uh, Kids, maybe you're preparing to go back to school next week. Parents, maybe you're preparing for the kids to go back to school at home next week. Um, One thing I think we're all really good at, actually, is preparing for the worst, aren't we? We're good at preparing for the worst possible outcome in a particular situation. How have you been preparing for lockdown? Over the last couple of weeks, how are you preparing for the lockdown as it continues? Me and my family, we have brought out some favorite family meals uh, to prepare ourselves for the worst. But you know what? The Bible, Isaiah, in fact, God himself, in this passage that Prash just read out to us, tells his people, God tells his people not to prepare for the worst, but to prepare for the best. Because the future that God has for God's people is such that when we experience it, from our head to our toes, we will be filled with joy. We will rejoice. And so God actually tells his people to prepare for joy. That's what we need to do. We need to prepare for joy. This is what Isaiah sees at the end of God's vision that God gives to him. A future full of joy. So we need to prepare ourselves for joy. I want to ask a couple of questions about that future joy this morning for us as we think about this. What kind of joy is promised? Where does it come from? How is that joy guaranteed? And how do you experience that joy? Firstly, what is that joy like? What kind of joy does the Christian promise offer? Well, you might be familiar with the joke, if Christians are so happy, someone should tell their faces. If Christians are so happy, someone should tell their faces. I think it's funny because on the one hand it's true because Christians often need a bit of a kick up the backside to be reminded of the joy that they have. But on the other hand it's true because 
the Christian promise of joy is, is not some simplistic motivation to smile every day. It's more connected to reality than that. And actually, it's far deeper than that. God offers us a deep joy. Have a look at verse 11 and the kind of joy that is on offer. Isaiah writes here, and it's this picture of a baby being nursed by its mother. Isaiah writes, For you will nurse and be satisfied at her comforting breasts. You will drink deeply and delight in her overflowing abundance. That's a picture of joy that is satisfying, that is deep, that is comforting, that is overflowing. And the focus of this metaphor is the experience of the infant. The experience of the infant. And the thing about a breastfed child, if all is going well, of course, is that it is all a child needs. We've all seen a child who uh, wants to be fed. And we've all seen a child who... Uh, has been fed, who has experienced this. This is my son, Leif. Uh, this is a couple of years ago now. But I believe the expression and what he's experiencing is what's, what's being called being milk drunk. This is the baby is satisfied, comforted. They drink, after drink, drinking deeply, they conk out in a euphoric kind of sleep. This is the kind of delight, the kind of joy the kind of restoration promised by God for his people. For the child of God, this is what is on offer. It's a deep satisfaction that causes the child of God even now to experience some of that joy. But what is that joy actually like? Verse 12 actually gives us another picture of what the joy is like in terms that we can really start to grab onto. If that's what it feels like, this is what it's actually like. Verse 12, Isaiah says, For this is what the Lord says, I'll extend peace to her like a river, and the wealth of nations like a flooding stream. This is what's happening to Jerusalem, to God's city, to God's people. And in order to understand what it means for us now, we kind of have to understand what it would have meant for them then. You see, Jerusalem, this city, had been destroyed in about 587 BC. This was actually a few years after Isaiah was writing because of the way that Jerusalem's people lived, because they refused God, God had allowed them to experience, to some extent, the consequences of their sin. They experienced the consequence of their sin by being captured and exiled by another nation. This happens, as Isaiah foretells, when Babylon captures Jerusalem. They capture it, they torture it, they exile its leaders. And, and Jerusalem as a city, her beauty is utterly destroyed. We're told in the Bible that every important building is burnt to the ground, that the temple is destroyed. Archaeologists confirm for us today that, that the whole city inside the walls was burnt to a rubble. This is a turning point for Judah as a nation, for Jerusalem as a city. It will never be the same again. In fact, for 150 years it is left as this burnt rubble. But Isaiah promises that one day God will restore Jerusalem. And what's interesting about these metaphors that he gave us about the wealth of the nations flooding into Jerusalem, the people being nursed and dandled and carried on her arms, is that this is how Isaiah has previously described Jerusalem being attacked and carried off by other nations. And so what we're seeing here is a complete reversal of their experience. In the past, they experienced this grief, this exile, this loss, this destruction. But they're going to receive exactly the opposite of that 
in God's future for them. One commentator puts it like this. He says, all that was lost by sin will be recovered. Isn't that beautiful? That is a description actually of the the joy that awaits us as Christians. Everything that has been destroyed by sin in our lives will be in some way restored to us, given back to us, made up for. That's the promise of eternal life, the new Jerusalem for God's people that is on offer. Your stress will be rest. Your depression will be joy. Your abuse will be replaced with justice and kindness. Your brokenness with healing. Your insults with praise. Your rejection with a welcome. Your frustration with fulfillment. Your loss will be restored. I can't tell you all the details exactly of what that looks like. But don't be satisfied with any restoration unless it's complete and full, the picture that Isaiah has given us. Well, that's what our restoration and our joy will be like. But where does it come from? Isaiah is very specific about this. Where does it come from? And in verse 13, we get another picture, actually, of this nursing child with its mother. God himself this time, he says, as a mother comforts her child... So I will comfort you. God says to his people, as a mother comforts a child, so I will comfort you. This joy comes from God. And that's significant, especially as well when we reflect on Judah's history. Because what happens is Judah is in captivity to Babylon, but then in 539 BC, the king of Persia comes and captures Babylon, and he allows, Cyrus allows, Jerusalem's people to return to Jerusalem, to go back. And the prophets in the Bible, the prophets of Haggai and Zechariah, you can read about in your Bible, uh, urge the people to rebuild the temple, to rebuild the city, and especially to rebuild the temple. And they do, and and the, the book of Ezra in our Bibles records the people's attempt, and in 516 BC it is rebuilt. But what we're told by Ezra is that the people who saw it, they wept. We read in Ezra 3.12, but many of the older priests, the people who had seen the former glory of the temple, wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid because the, the former glory was better than the current glory. What they currently had wasn't as good as what they had in the past. What's important to notice about that is, is that everybody who's read Isaiah since, even those people then at that, in those those times, they realized that God's promise of a future joy has not been fulfilled yet, not for for them. What's more important, even more significant for us to notice, is that this is something that the people couldn't build for themselves. It's something they couldn't achieve for themselves. They couldn't find in anything other than God doing it for them. See, a truth here we need to know is that restoration and joy Rest solely in God and his promises. Restoration and joy rest solely in God and his promises. Now we have this nursing metaphor again, but this time the focus is not on the infant. The focus is rather on the mother providing the milk for the child. What's interesting is, you know, as a pastor who gets to study the scriptures, and of course they're thousands of years old, as I read people's comments over thousands of years on these scriptures, one of the things that came up again and again and again about this passage, as I was reflecting on it this week, was people saying things like, a, a, a mother can give a child something a father can't. 
You know, and as a 21st century dad, I'm there thinking to myself, come on. You know, but as I reflected on it, I realized there's some truth in this. You know, a father can comfort their child, but there is nothing like the comfort of a mother. A mother has an instinctive comfort. A mother has a a natural ability that surpasses anyone else's ability to comfort. And God says, I will comfort you. As a mother comforts a child, so I will comfort you. You know, when I ask you this morning, uh, you know, what are the things that are going to comfort you? What are the things that are going to bring you joy, a deep, satisfying, overflowing joy? You might think of a list of things. And there are things, sure, that for a moment uh, can comfort us. But God says, I can comfort you like no other. He says, when you have me, you have everything you need. Deep, satisfying, overflowing joy and comfort come from God. Let's look at these words this morning and let's appreciate them. Take them more seriously than perhaps you ever have before. God says to his people, as a mother comforts a child, so I will comfort you. This deep, satisfying, overflowing joy comes from God. But how is it protected? You know, how is it... Guaranteed. A good question for us this morning would be, why is God's promise of joy better than any other promise of joy? Why is God's promise of restoration better than any other restoration that we can find? And the answer is because God can offer us something that no one else can. And that is the complete removal of anything or anyone contrary to his kingdom. God promises the complete removal of anything or anyone contrary to his kingdom. Have a look at verses 14 to 16 because it shows us something unique about the joy God promises. It says here in verse 14, His fury will be shown to his foes. See, the Lord is coming with fire, for for with fire and with his sword the Lord will execute judgment on all people, and many will be those slain by the Lord. You know, of course, this is hard for us to stomach, for some of us, Uh, For many of us, I imagine this has caused you to close the book, to stop reading, to forget about the God of the Bible. But I want you to notice why it's important that God gets rid of all his enemies, that God finally and fully puts an end to all evil in the world. And note that it's not the ignorant that God gets rid of that are squeezed out. It's those who are evil, those who willfully rebel against him. Notice why that's important. You know, one of my reflections about the pathway out of COVID, and I don't want to make a political statement this morning, I'm not doing that, I'm just making a sociological one and a theological one. One of my reflections on this pathway has been that there seems to be a bit of a forgetfulness about our world. It's as if we're going to to get this jab and we'll be immune to any suffering in the world. Let me remind you, and I'm sure I don't need to, but... This kind of stuff's going to keep on happening. I don't mean to scare us. I'm not trying to be a fear monger, but I'm just reminding us of the, the broken world that we live in. There is something else that will be a threat to your joy, a threat to your health, a threat to your wealth, a threat to your life. But that's the point. See, God offers something entirely different. Not just a pick-me-up, not just reassurance against one problem. God offers God promises to defeat all his foes. That one day we will stand over the graves of his foes. 
And that means the removal of any threat to our joy. That's what it means. All of your enemies will one day be eradicated so you can be free and there'll be no threat to your eternal joy. That's the promise of the New Jerusalem. And in fact, it's picked up by one of Jesus' disciples. John, the Apostle John, writing a letter to the church in the first century after he himself has seen a vision of God's future, of what God is going to do in the world. He uses the same imagery, actually, of a new heaven, a new earth, and of a new Jerusalem. And he writes this in Revelation 21. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Perhaps you've wondered about that. There won't be a wave to ride. He's talking about in ancient literature like this, the sea was where God's enemies would come up from. Monsters would rise out of this sea. And in this picture, there is no sea. There is no threat to his kingdom. There is no threat to his joy. And it says there in verse 4, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death, mourning, crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Our enemies... And what they inflict on us will be wiped away as God's enemies are. So that's the future promise. And the future promise is protected. It's guaranteed. But the final question for us this morning, well, is how do you get in on that promise? Or actually, how do you experience that joy even now? It's interesting, isn't it, that Isaiah commands God's people to to joy, to rejoice. You know, how can they rejoice? Because Jerusalem is not restored yet. The city is still desolate. And even for Christians today, actually, there is a lot to mourn over in our lives, isn't there? So how can we be commanded to rejoice? Well, a part of that answer comes to us in verse 14. Isaiah says this, he says, When you see this, Your heart will rejoice and you will flourish like grass. The hand of the Lord will be made known to his servants, but his fury will be shown to his foes. When you see this, when you see what? Isaiah's talking about God's hand at work in the world to restore his people. He's talking about God's victory. He's talking about God rescuing his children and beginning to bring them home. And the question is, well, where where do we see that? Where do we see God's work his hand at work in the world to restore his people. And of course, we will not see that in its complete form until Jesus returns. But where do we see it? Where do we see it? Well, we see it, of course, in the cross of Jesus Christ, in his death and resurrection. Because firstly, in his his death, we see God's fury shown to his foes. That's what we see in Jesus' death. He takes our sin and our disobedience and the consequences of it and God nails it to his body in place of our body, of your body, of my body, the body of humanity. That's his execution of his judgment. And Jesus offers in that moment to take your enmity with God so that you can become a child of God. Sin and disobedience receive their punishment in him and so that those of us who look at him, who see him and are able to say, Jesus did that for me in my place because I know I am a foe of God. In that moment, we also see God's hand made known to his servants. We see Jesus doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. 
And we see God inaugurating his victory with this one death and this resurrection. And he shows us that with, with Jesus' resurrection that this new city is coming and that we one day will be brought home to this heavenly Jerusalem. And when you see and experience what Jesus has personally and directly done for you, then you'll experience actually what the Apostle Peter, another of Jesus' disciples, says you'll experience inexpressible and glorious joy. Have a look at this. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. Though you have not seen him, Jesus, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Are you preparing for joy? You know, researchers tell us that 90% of joy is found in anticipation. I'm sure that will be a little bit different when we come into the new Jerusalem. But do you love him? Do you see him? Do you mourn over what he had to go through for you? And do you rejoice over the fact that he went through it gladly for you? Because if you see what he has done for you and if you accept and trust what he has done for you as your very own death, and the beginning of your very own resurrection, then you can prepare for joy. And in fact, you can experience that joy now. Let me pray for us. Gracious God, we thank you for the kindness you have shown to us in Jesus, that this promise to restore your people is begun and is finished in him. Help us to see him. Help us to love him, help, him to, uh, help us to believe in him, to trust in him, and to be filled with this inexpressible and glorious joy. In his name we pray. Amen.